from 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, we have studied the holiness of God and the sovereignty of God. Now, many, many people, if they started listing the characteristics and the quality of God, would begin, as I said just last week or two weeks ago, would begin with God is love. Well, preacher, why are you saving it to third? Because I think it comes out of God's holiness and God's sovereignty. That's how we can say that God is love. Remember, even though I'm preaching on God's love this morning, God's chief characteristic is His holiness. You don't violate the holiness of God. We're going to look at, again, as I said, God's love. You know, God's holiness is a chief characteristic. God's sovereignty is seen in the verses, it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. And we're going to look at that word love for just a moment. We're familiar. We've heard this word talked about. We've heard this word thrown about in so many places. And it's the word either however you pronounce it, agape or agape or however you want to pronounce that particular word. It's an interesting word. It's a word that is used in the word of God to relate the love of God it literally means goodwill or benevolence or love, but it is raised to its highest degree when it starts talking about the love of God that he showed for us on Calvary. The title of the message is the title of the song, and I hoped Brother Rick would get the hint, and he did. I thank you for that. When I sent him this PowerPoint and said the title of the message was, Oh, How He Loves You and Me, and we sang that wonderful, wonderful song, Oh, How God Loves Us, How He Loves You and Me. Agape love is a self-sacrificing love. Agape love is not only a self-sacrificing love, it is an unconditional love. You know, God makes no conditions for loving us. Amen. He doesn't say, I'll love you if you'll be good. He doesn't say, I'll love you if you'll do my will. Remember Wednesday night we talked about keep yourselves in the love of God. That's in the center of God's love. That's where God can show all of the love that he has for us. And so God doesn't say, if you'll obey me, I'll love you. Now, our disobedience can disqualify ourselves sometimes from his blessing, but he's still going to love us, no matter what we do. And remember, I used the illustration Wednesday evening of my children. I love my children no matter what. They don't always make me happy, but I'm still going to love them, and God is still going to love us. As our society drifts farther from God, it's not surprising that many people in the world today just have a sort of a skeptical idea about the possibility of having any kind of truly loving relationship with anyone or with anything. And one of the reasons, I believe, is this. You know, we now are at that rate in America that half of all marriages end in divorce. Even among people who profess to be Christians, half of all marriages end in divorce. Well, I don't know about those who profess to be Christian, but I think I can say this. For those who make no profession about faith in Christ, I believe that's part of their problem. 
Listen, if you know God, if you know Christ the Savior, and I, this is the way I counsel young people who are wanting to get married. I ask them, first of all, if you, are you saved and are you saved? And they both say they're saved. I remind them of this. If you're a child of God, there should be nothing occur between the two of you that with God as your helper, as God leading, that you can't work out together. Two children of God ought to be able to get along with each other, right? Because they both have the love of God in their hearts. And so we have so many today that don't know about a loving relationship. I think it's because so many don't know Christ as Savior. God does not attain love and then maintain love. Folks, the Word of God says that God is love. Love is the structure of His being. Love is one of God's characteristics. First John makes three statements about God as you read through the book of First John, at least three. First of all, he says God is light. He says he's pure light. He's pure righteousness. There's not even a speck of darkness that dwells in God. He says that God is a spirit because he says no man has seen God, okay? And then he says that God is love. And so we're going to look at the love of God this morning. And as we look at the love of God, we're going to see, first of all, that God's love is revealed. You look at verses 8 and 9 that we just read. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. First of all, God's love is revealed in His Word. I mean, it says plainly right here, God is love. As I said, that means as to his character, as to his nature, God is love. Love does not define God, folks. God defines love. If you want to know what love is, you just look at God. You look at how God has loved us, sinful mankind, so that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. In fact, literally what the Greek says right there is the God is love. He's the only definition of love that we need when we understand him. It's not just an attribute of God. It's his essence. God is love explains creation. Have you ever wondered? Because I, I mean, this is just the way my mind works. Why would God create a world, and especially mankind, that brings him so much trouble? Right? I mean, you got to admit we do. I've often said, if, I think if I were God, I wouldn't have made man knowing what it God knew about man. We believe, we know the Bible to teach before man was ever created. Jesus hung on the cross in the mind and the heart of God because God knew that man was going to sin. I'm going to make this creature, this creation, and he's going to sin, and he's going to cost me my only begotten son. Now, wait a minute. I mean, that's sort of my approach. But God created this world, and he created man because he is love. God did not desire to dwell, as one man called it, in Trinitarian loneliness or loneliness. God existed. Where did God come from? We know that God is eternal, that he has always been. Instead of dwelling just with God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, God creates objects to love and objects to worship him. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. I've mentioned this verse in the last few weeks. But what does Revelation 4, 11 says? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were and are created. Why did God create this world? Why did God create man? For his pleasure. That we might love and that we might worship 
him. God is love explains human volition, human will. God has designed man with a will. We know that. A person can choose to accept Christ or reject Christ. A person can choose to believe in God or not believe in God. A person can choose to come to church or not to come to church. A person can do all of those things. God has, that's what volition is. That's what will is that God has given us a choice. And so it explains our human will. See, God could have created us as robots. We know that. If he had desired to. Where we had no option. Where we had no will other than to worship him. But guess what? There's not much glory in being worshipped by robots. Okay. And so God gave man a will. And when man through his will recognizes that there is a God, calls upon that God for salvation, God saves him, and then out of his love that God put in his heart for God, man worships God, there is glory to God. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus was asked, what is the first and great commandment? Above everything else, what is the commandment above all things? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. This is the first and great commandment. God wants his creation to love him. And God loves his creation. God is love explains providence. God fills this world with evidence of his love. You have probably at some point in your life received the providence of God. God has moved in your life. God has prepared something ahead of time. You moved into that provision. You moved into that providence and God was able to take care of you. God says he is love. And he defines what love is by his kindness and by his grace, by his generosity, by his goodness, and most of all, by that redemptive grace. Time and time again, God's word tells us about the love of God in relation to God's grace, doesn't it? John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody ought to know that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But how does it start? God so loved the world. That's why he gave Jesus, because of his love. We look here at our text, verse 10, herein is love. You know what love is? Herein is love. Not that we loved God. Now what he's telling us is that God loved us before we loved him, okay? God loved us. We're going to look at Romans in just a moment, Romans the fifth chapter in just a moment, but God loved us when we were enemies to God. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. And that's just a big word that means satisfaction for our sins. That's why Jesus came, to be the satisfaction, the sin payment for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. You know, we, don't, we, we hear stories sometimes from various wars that we've been in where somebody threw himself on a grenade for his buddies or, or died, gave his life for his buddies or something like that. But that's a rare story. That's why that makes the news. And here's what he says here in Romans chapter 5. He said, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think it's verse 10 of Romans 5. It says we were enemies to God. We were in enmity with God. And he still loved us and sent Jesus to die for us. That's how great the love of God is. 
We have two children, a daughter and a son. I don't think I would send my son to die. I don't know that I'd send him to die for my friends, much less for my enemies. But God's love is so great, he sent Jesus to die for those who were at enmity with him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The love of God is revealed time and time and time again in the word of God. You know, I wrote in the bulletin today it's some things I don't understand. And there's a whole lot I don't understand. But here's one thing I don't understand. How somebody could look the love of God square in the face, staring at Calvary, and reject the love of God. Amen. Folks, I don't understand that. God's love is revealed through His Son. Love has been defined as meeting the needs of another. Needs which that person cannot meet for themselves. Okay? Somebody has a need, they can't meet it. We go in and meet it for them. That's showing love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he, talking about God, hath made him, talking about Jesus, for he hath made him sin, or the sin sacrifice for us, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We could not make ourselves righteous. We could not bring ourselves to what? I don't care how many good works we did, how many churches we joined, how many times we might be baptized. None of that is going to make us righteous before God. Amen. And God said, you need some help. And so I sent Jesus. And he became the sin sacrifice so that we might be made righteous. When we see Jesus going to the cross... When we see him being scourged, when we see him being beaten, when we see him being mocked, when we see him being spit upon, folks, God's not punishing Jesus. You know what he's doing? He's punishing us through Jesus. Because all of the things that happened to Jesus, we deserved. And in fact, one preacher put it this way, and I've always liked this. He said, Jesus endured my hell. Because you remember hanging there on the cross. Just before he dismissed his spirit from his body, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the father and son were separated as they'd never been separated before for just that brief moment. We know that this old earth went into convulsions when that happened. What's verse 10 say again? Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. The love of God appeared in the form of Jesus, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. It's talking about Jesus. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, folks. There's the love of God. I've shared with you before and I still haven't found anybody to write this song for me. I have a song I want written. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when Abraham was told to take his son up and sacrifice him to God. And Abraham went up that mountain. He laid Isaac on that altar and he drew his hand back and he was about to, in obedience to God, sacrifice his son. And God stayed his hand and, you know, what, what was caught in the thicket? A ram. A ram was caught in the thicket. And God supplied that ram as a replacement for Isaac, and there's a picture of the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this message, this song that I have bouncing around in my head that won't come out, I title it, Look Into the Eyes of the Lamb. Because I think, what were the eyes of Isaac like? 
when he's laying there bound up and his daddy's getting ready to offer him as a sacrifice. But then he's released in the ram, this innocent ram, this, this ram who didn't do anything wrong except to get caught in the thicket. This ram's lying there and Abraham's getting ready to sacrifice him. What about looking into the eyes of that ram? What was in the eyes of those ram? Fear? Maybe nothing? We don't know. And then the scene moves to Calvary, standing at the foot of the cross. And there's the Lamb of God hanging on the cross. And you look up. You know, there's a lot to be said about the eyes of Jesus. You know, after Peter denied the Lord, what does the scripture say Jesus did? He just turned and looked at him. He didn't say a word. He just turned and looked at Peter. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. There was a huge message, a great message in that look. I don't know what it was. I've tried to imagine that look. But sometimes I think the Lord looks at us that way. Same way he looked at Peter because Peter denied him and we deny him. And I think that same look is toward us. But standing there at the foot of the cross, the love that's, that's coming out of those eyes. Why do you say there's love coming out of those eyes? Because hanging on the cross, he prayed for those who were crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they were fulfilling scripture. They were fulfilling the word of God. It's what they were doing. They didn't know it. And yet he prays for them as his life is going out of his body. And I think looking into those eyes, what was in the eyes of God's Lamb? Now somebody's going to write that one of these days. I won't get credit for it, but somebody's going to write it and I appreciate it when they do. Because I think that's such a, you know, just the thought of looking into the eyes of Jesus. So God's love is declared in his word. God's love is revealed in his son. But God's love is also a redeeming love. Go back to verses 9 and 10. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. You know what the idea of re redeem is? Buy back. Okay. Something I bought online with some points or something one time, and I got this email or response after I'd done it said, you've been redeemed. Or I thought, well, yeah, I have, you know, and I hope you have too if you're sending that out. We know what it means to redeem. Years ago, we growing up, what would we do with, see, young people don't know anything about this, and I love telling this. What would we do with old soda pop bottles? We'd redeem them. Two cents, man. Two cents a bottle. You take it back to the store. You give it to them. They give you two cents. Down below my house was a miniature golf course. And people would lose golf balls sometimes. You go out and find one down by the creek. And you take it up. And you could redeem it for a free game of golf. I mean, you could just redeem stuff all the time. We remember S&H green stamps. And you know what they had here in town for S&H green stamps? They had a redemption center. Well, God's got a redemption center right here, folks. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we must remember in the matter of salvation and in the matter of redemption that God is the prime mover. Man does not seek God. Romans chapter 3 says in verse 10, As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. Listen to this. There is none that seeketh God. I've pointed out before there in this nation, churches that say we're seeking seekers. 
Well, if you're seeking seekers and nobody's seeking God, you're going to have to give the seekers something other than God to attract them. Amen. Nobody seeks God. I think it's evident in our nation today. Adam wasn't seeking God in the garden, was he? After he sinned? What were Adam and Eve doing after they sinned? You know, God came in the, God would meet with them in the garden. God came in the garden and not in the usual spot. God knew where they were. God knew what they'd done. But where were they? They're hiding. And that's what so much of the lost world does today. They hide from God. They don't want to admit their sin. It's not that we loved God first, folks. It's that God first loved us. Here in his love, verse 10, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. And that great love is demonstrated as Jesus becomes that sin payment, that satisfaction for our sin. Romans chapter 3 Talking about Jesus, Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, and I love this, through faith in his blood. Not through church membership, not through baptism, not through good works, not through anything, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Amen. What can wash away my sin? I thought you'd sing it back to me louder than that. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? That's it. The love of God and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because God is holy and because God is sovereign, he has chosen to love his creation and he has chosen even to pay the price for mankind's sin so that we might be able to fellowship with him. That's the love of God. It redeems us for sanctified service also. I'm tempted to say this is going to be a little sticky part for some of us, right? I mean, it's the word service, not necessarily sanctified. God's love redeems us that we might be set apart or sanctified to him. God wants to fellowship with us. You go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. I hope you never get tired of me talking about that verse. I love that verse. You might just... I'm going to have to have a, a headstone about 10 feet high to put all my favorite verses on it, but, you know... Maybe I can come up with that. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means we're going to be sanctified. We're going to be separated to him. We're going to be living for him and walking with him. We have fellowship one with another. Now that's neat. That's great to think about I can fellowship with God. But we have fellowship one with another, which indicates God reciprocates and fellowships back. And the blood of Jesus Christ just uncleanses us from all sin. But the part of it that I like is this. I hadn't had, now I, in fact, our present mayor, I went to school with his sister. She passed away when she was in the third grade, but he knows me and I know him. And every once in a while, we're out in public, he'll say hi to me. But he's never invited me to his house for an evening of fellowship. He's never invited me to City Hall to offer anything for the city or anything like that. I mean, we're just, we, we don't call it friends. We, that's acquaintances, isn't it? Even the mayor of this town hadn't sought my fellowship. But the creator of the universe wants my fellowship and he will reciprocate in fellowship with me. Now, folks, that's the love of God and that is something that is just beyond our human comprehension. Second Thessalonians 1.9. Well, first of all, you can't fellowship with God in a lost condition. 
The scripture says our condition before we were saved were enemies to God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 describes the future condition of those that die lost who shall be punished with everlasting destruction literally out and away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. But we who are saved can walk daily and fellowship daily and talk daily hourly if you want to Minute by minute, you know, there's sometimes I just talk to God. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad he doesn't get tired of listening to me. But I just talk to God all the time. Especially when I'm, you know, when I'm at home, I'm either talking, and, and Joni's not there, I'm either talking to the Lord or to the dog. I mean, it's just one of the two. That's who I have to talk to. But I'm talking to God, I'm praying to God. And 1 John 1, 3 says, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm trying to get you to understand, we have fellowship with God and he wants us to be set apart to him. 1 John chapter 3, love these verses. Beginning in verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I don't mind calling my son my son, and I don't mind calling my daughter my daughter, but there's some folks I wouldn't call my son or my daughter, right? But I'm called a son of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And listen to verse 3. And every man that hath this hope, what hope? I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to see him as he is. What kind of body did Jesus have? I don't know, but I'm going to have one like it. A glorified body. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know what that means? Sanctification. Being set apart to God. There's sanctification of our walk. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We covered those verses just recently. Uh, Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And he says, which is your reasonable service. <laughs> okay. It is not unreasonable for God to expect us to separate ourselves from worldliness and to him. After all that he's done for us, we can't repay him, but it's not wrong for him to expect us to do that. 2 Timothy, listen to it, chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Job, brother Tim mentioned Job in Sunday school this morning. Job eschewed sin. You know what that means? He hated it. We need people today, God's people today, who hate sin so much, I don't want any of it in my life. Does that mean you're trying for sinless perfection, preacher? No, I got enough sin in me that I'm not sinlessly perfect, okay? And I don't even like the sin that I got in me. You know, what do you mean you have sin in your life, preacher? Do thoughts ever come into your head? <laughs> well, I better just leave that right there, hadn't I? Do you ever get upset with someone? Now, nobody's willing to admit this, but do you ever get upset with your spouse? I'm going to leave that and go on, okay? Sanctification comes by God's love and through his word. Folks, Jesus has prayed for our sanctification. Jesus has prayed for I being set apart to him. 
John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is thy word? It's the Bible. How can I live the kind of life that I ought to live? Get in the word and stay in the word. Live by the word. Let the word guide our thoughts. Let the word guide our words. Let the word guide our lives. That's how we get into the word and we get sanctified by the word. And then he said in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through thy word. Have we believed in Christ through the word? You say, I never met any of the apostles. That's okay. They passed it down. By the way, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Passing down the word of God, leading people to Christ. And because they spread the word, others spread the word, and others spread God's word. And eventually one day you and I were saved. So Jesus has prayed for us. And here's what God wants. He talks about husbands loving wives and, and Christ loving the church. So he talks about the church and here's what he wants as a church. And if church members are not this way, you can't have a church this way that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Set apart as a church as individual believers and members of this church because God desires our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That's God's will for me and for you. And it comes out of His love. God's love is revealed and is a revealing love. God's love is a redeeming love. And right quickly, one more, God's love is a love that reassures don't you like to be reassured? I mean, it makes me feel good when uh, my wife or my daughter or my son say, I love you, you know. Oh, good, you hadn't forgotten me, you know. You still want me around. All right, that, that's wonderful. I, you know, we all like to hear that. We all, whether we admit it or not, we all like to hear, I love you or I need you or, or whatever that might be. Well, first of all, God's love reassures us because God's love is our foundation, what do you do on a foundation you build? How can we know that we're saved? 1 John 4, 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You've got the love of God in your heart. That's some reassurance right there. See, the world doesn't know anything about agape love. Lost people don't know anything about agape love. They may know phileo love, which is a fondness, which is brotherly love, which is kindness. They may know eros, which is a an erotic, sensual love. But lost people can't know agape love. It is experienced by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And so it assures us that we know Christ as Savior. In fact, 1 John chapter 5, 13, that's one reason John wrote this book. We can know by the love that we have for God and we can know by the love that we have for one another that we're Christ. The absence of of this love, you know what it proves? Verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God. You say, I don't know anything about the love of God. Well, you need to check your salvation. And you need to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I have seen people who have professed Jesus Christ as Savior, who say they're children of God, treat brothers and sisters in Christ, other church members, hatefully. Amen. I have seen them treat brothers and sisters in Christ despitefully. And want to use those brothers and sisters in Christ to their advantage. That's not the kind of love that we're supposed to have. 
I've seen some that I think desired the destruction of other brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 is a powerful, powerful verse. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. John said that, not Brother Jim. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And then in 1 Corinthians, and we're not going to take the time to read those verses, but 1 Corinthians 13, it just tells us what the love of God will and won't do. There's some things it will do. One of the things it puts up with a lot. And there's some things it won't do. It's not going to believe the worst about people. It's going to believe the best about people. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't brag. What a blessing to build our relationship with other people on this kind of love of God. And folks, I believe we have that in this church. We're not the biggest church in town, but I tell you what, I think we're one of the most loving churches in town. And that's all I'll say about that, okay? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, ye being rooted and grounded in love. And God's love removes fear. There's no fear in love, verse 18 says here in 1 John 4. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. No matter what, as children of God, no matter what trials, difficulties, problems, issues that come up in our lives, we can still know, even if we're by ourselves, that I am loved. If nobody else in the world loves me, God loves me. And that's the greatest love there is. Israel would go away from God and then they'd pray for you know, God to bless them and for God after God punished them and God loved them and he'd bring them back. Just study the book of Judges, read that. David sinned with Bathsheba and they suffered some chastisement for that, but God still loved David. And God has to chasten our disobedience sometimes. Now, my children, I don't think ever believed this, but every time I corrected them, chastened them, spanked them, I did it out of love. Well, sometimes I was a little angry too, but you know. But I wanted them to learn to live a certain way. And that's why God chastens us. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he believeth. And by the way, this verse, our society doesn't, has missed this verse today. Proverbs 13, 24 he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes or while there's time. By the way, that word rod, my mother knew what a rod was because that word rod refers to a switch. It's not beating a child with a big old stick. It's take, whoo, you know, a little keen switch can really work those ankles over. No matter what may come, we need not fear for the scripture says God is a very present help in a time of trouble. I heard about G. Campbell Morgan reading Matthew 28 to some ladies in a rest home. And he read that part where Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always. Morgan said, Boy, isn't that a wonderful promise? One little lady corrected him. She said, No, it's a wonderful reality. Lo, I'm with you always. And this is not a preacher, finally. This is a finally, finally. God's love bears fruit. Folks, the closer we get to God, the more we're going to love people. And the more we're going to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the more we're going to love lost people. And God desires that 
the love he revealed on the cross in Jesus be perfected in us, be made complete in us. First Thessalonians 4, 9, but as touching brotherly love, you have need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves have taught of God to love one another. We know we ought to love each other. And I believe we do, as I said. First John three seventeen. But whoso hath this world good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How can we not help a brother or sister in Christ? In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, you know, he's talked about the rich man and the poor man coming into a service and so forth. And then he says this, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Oh, you need some help? You need some food? You need some... Well, brother, I'll pray for you. Now go your way. How about just showing some love and some kindness toward that brother or sister in Christ and helping them out? The outpouring of our love is not a manifestation of fearful servants, folks. It is the love of God seen through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, The love of Christ constraineth us. Why would you go out and witness to people that are lost? The love of Christ constraineth us. Why would you stand in a pulpit and preach Sunday after Sunday, the love of Christ constraineth us? Why would you give something to help a brother or sister out? The love of Christ constraineth us. That word constrain means to force or compel out in an unnatural manner. Why did Jesus go to the cross? The love of God constrained him, folks, and he went to the cross willingly. And in fact, one of the last things he said in John chapter 14, just before going out to be betrayed by Judas, he said in verse 31, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do arise and let us go hence. Jesus said, I'm going to show my love for the Father. I'm going to be obedient to Him. Which raises this question. What have you and I done to let the world know that we love the Father? Well, I show up at church on Sunday. That's great. But we don't see the world in here, do we? Out there in the world, in the mission field out there, what have we done to let people know that we love God? What should compel us to go out and witness to lost people? The same love that Jesus had for us when he went to the cross. As we consider and attempt to understand the love of God, remember God's love is a revealed love, it's a redeeming love, but folks, it is also a reassuring love. He will never leave us. I heard about a farmer that put the word God is love on his weather vane. And there's some smart aleck in the community that asked this farmer, are you implying that God's love is as fickle as the wind? This farmer answered, no. What I mean is whichever the way the wind blows, folks, God is love. If it blows cold from the north or biting from the east, God is love. If it blows warm from the south or gentle from the west, God is still love. God is always love. And aren't you thankful today that you and I can say with a certainty, God is love. I didn't intend to start a series of messages when I preached on God's holiness. But it's just seemed that as we've gone through the weeks that this is the way this has gone. God wants us to know that he loves us. 
He shows us that He loves us. But He doesn't want us just to say, okay, wonderful, God loves me and I'm just going to bask in that love and not do anything else. God wants us to take the love that He has shown us and show it to others. You know, maybe that wearied waitress that we run into when we're eating out and she's working two jobs just to try to keep her family together and she thinks there's, you know, nothing in the world to help her. God loves her. Maybe it's that person that's living in the homeless camp that just thinks there's nobody cares and I'm on my own. No, God loves them. Maybe it's the person that's selling pornography. You know what? God loves them. He doesn't love what they're doing, but He loves them. Maybe it's the person that has a problem drinking too much or taking drugs. God doesn't love what they're doing, but God loves that person. And I don't know if we've ever done this. I don't think this church has done this, but God's people in general, I don't know if we've ever done this or not, but sometimes it seems like we've thought, well, we're the people God loves. All of the rest of y'all just figure out how to get into this little clique here. No. God loves every man, woman, boy, and girl. And the scripture says in 2 Peter 3, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when you see Jesus on the cross, just think about the whole world that needs Christ as Savior.